0: craftsman podcast is proud to partner with montana brand tools the west was built by people with strength and great pride in their workmanship it was a necessity that early settlers of montana have a strong will a resilient character and great determination to tame the rugged landscape while adapting to its dramatic climate that spirit made in the usa pride and craftsmanship is alive today both in how montana brand tools are manufactured and how they perform Montana brand power tool accessories are manufactured utilizing proprietary, state-of-the-art CNC machining equipment and the highest quality materials available. Montana brand tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. Montana brand tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist, located in Ronan, Montana. Montana brand's heritage comes from a long line of innovative power tool accessories. Use coupon code American Craftsman for ten percent off your order at montanabrandtools.com. dot com.
1: Episode forty one. Wow, here we are, forty one weeks, eleven weeks from a year. <laughs> <laughs> if you could do math, yeah, that, they call that head math nowadays. Yeah, not uh, what's the math that they're doing now? The uh, everything's kind of like uh, it could be the answer. Yeah, but they have a name, Common Core Math. Oh, Every time I've seen an example of it, I was extremely confused.
2: Yeah, remember the old days of flashcards?
1: Multiplication tables. Yeah. Long See, division.
2: And if you got something simple wrong, you were just shamed.
1: Beaten. <laughs> paddled.
2: Do we still call those the good old days? <laughs> I didn't go
1: to Catholic school, so there was no no paddling going on. <laughs> well, here we are, American Craftsman Podcast, Episode Forty One. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't even remember how many times I got
2: paddled. Uh, never, thankfully. It, I do know it was over three hundred in one one term. Oh my god! There's only 180 days of school. Yep. Well, they didn't just give you
1: one at a time. Oh, okay, I thought you meant three hundred instances.
2: No, no, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was quite a year. <laughs> I, I was making big adjustments. Oh, it was my, you know, God. one of my first years moving from New York out west, and they, there was corporal punishment out there.
1: Yeah, it seems like more like a New York thing, like a, in like a Catholic school. Yeah, titles. yeah. You but hear they, Joey Diaz talk about the nuns.
2: Yeah, these teachers they had uh, either fiberglass and they would like drill holes through them, or like a bar of fiberglass. No, like... uh, Like like, a
1: fiberglass paddle. Yeah, like a
2: quarter-inch sheet of fiberglass with, like, tape around the handle. This is a public school. Yes. Oh, my God. Or wood. The old-fashioned teachers had wood.
1: No wonder kids are screwed up these days. (laughs) They're raised by you people who are being beaten with with sheets of plexiglass. (laughs) And everybody says... Well, I turned out all right. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you really? <laughs> I that's right. right? <laughs>
2: that's debatable. That is, that's the word I was going to use. You're not in federal prison, but. <laughs> yeah, well, there are instances I can point to where I could say I've turned out all right. <laughs> but <laughs> as a whole. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of baggage. Let's get real. Nobody's right. You
1: None go. of us. Well, we got a special beer of the week this yeah. week. Yeah, uh, as you guys probably know, Manny has uh, been in the shop uh, a little bit this this week, a little bit last week, helping us out with this welding project. We're collaborating on that, and uh, so Manny's girlfriend Denise listens to the the podcast with him occasionally, and um, and she wanted to pick out the beer of the week. Nice. So Manny actually brought us two two beers. We're not going to be drinking both today, um, but we have one here that Denise picked out. Yeah, I'm Darcy. So we'll save too. the other one for I. Okay, we'll do it next week. Yeah. So, oh, we got to do our B roll. You get uh, that camera out. We need to hire a,
2: uh, <laughs> a TD, technical director.
1: Yeah. HD, 60 frames a second. Here's the problem. When I shoot this B-roll, I'm shooting into all this area that's like when you see like the, <laughs> the audience at, when you're watching Conan O'Brien. So what we got here is from Firestone Walker called Mine Haze IPA. Firestone Walker is a, a good brewery from uh, what I remember. I don't know if they've changed in the uh, in the years I've sort of been out of the loop, but they're out in Ro- uh, Paso Robles, California. Oh, I, I've been through there. And you know what? Uh, on the box, it definitely had a blurb. But uh, it's absent on the can, so um, we'll have to we'll have to go in uninformed. That's a blind country. Yeah. Paso Robles? Yeah. Yeah. I think they used to be in Escondido. Is that kind of in the same area? Paso Robles, if I remember, is more like Central Valley. Oh, man, that smells good. So thanks, Denise. Thanks, Manny. Yeah. The Hazy IPA is the hot. Yeah, we've had quite a few, haven't we? The hot thing right now. Firestone makes a beer called Parabola, which is. Uh, Sounds complicated. Yeah, yeah, it is. I actually, I should look that up. It's like a, a stout. Firestone, and you know, actually, let me look up the, the blurb on this. Mine haze.
2: Yeah, I like the can.
1: Yeah. It looks like ice. Mhm. Mine haze. Well, I need a sip, so. Yeah, cheers. Jindan. See. Mhm. Ah. That's good. Juicy hate. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to ask me how old I am. <laughs> no, look at that. They have this uh no, fancy. it's like a yeah. fancy web page. Yeah, 6.2% alcohol by volume, 40 IBUs, so not, not very bitter. They have a color number now, 6, whatever that means. Mm. Juicy, hazy, tropical. From the coast of California comes Mind Haze, a free-spirited beer made to elevate your perception. Juicy, fresh, and loaded with an imaginative array of tropical hop flavors. Made to elevate your perception. Is there drugs in this? I was about to say. It's got LSD <laughs> in it. <laughs> just a touch yeah <laughs> just wow. a touch let's see if uh they have parabola on here propagator parabola in a small bottle
2: hmm, that wasn't that it
1: looks different right than uh these are two different vintage they've they've changed uh like their total look and everything since i I used to work in this place, Twin Lights Tap House, and it was uh It was probably the the best craft beer bar, in the in entire Monmouth County and and even further than that. But uh, we used to get stuff in that you couldn't find anywhere else.
2: Look at the numbers on that compared to what we're drinking.
1: Yeah, thirteen point six percent alcohol. And what's that one sixty compared to six? That's the color. So six is really light, and one sixty is really dark. guess. Yeah. Aged for a year in premium bourbon barrels to gain depth, complexity, and intensity, then blended and released in limited quantities, ah. righteously dark and thick, with, bod- uh, with boldly balanced flavors of chocolate, charred oak, vanilla, black cherry, and coffee. Mm. So we used to get, you know, we get stuff in, like we get a case of Parabolin in the big bottles, you know, like a 750 milliliter. We'd sock some away. So then <laughs> you could drink... A twenty, a 2010, a 2011, and a 2012 parabola uh-huh. back-to-back and sort of see. You see the difference. Yeah, the, call that a vertical tasting. So we do all kinds of cool shit like I that. like that. Anyway, we just, uh, it's only been seven minutes. I'm surprised. Usually we get off on a tangent for about an hour. <laughs> what do you got? Tool of the week.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I... It just so happens that we were doing all that grinding, so I got my uh, my old peltors, and they were hanging up on the wall. They were all dusty because I really don't wear hearing protection all too often. And for all intents and purposes, our shop, for a wood shop that does you know professional work, it's not that noisy.
1: Mm, no, no. There's, you know, when it's noisy, it's noisy, but yeah. a lot, most of the time it's not. I mean, we got a dust collector in a separate room, mm-hmm. and we got uh, spiral cutter heads on our big machines. Um, Manny cracked me up when we uh, turned on the CT-15. He said, man, this vacuum's quiet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Even our, our
3: little
2: vacs. Did you, you know, take
1: it for granted.
2: Yeah, everything. So everything's nice. So we're doing all this grinding and cutting metal, and I, I really had to reach for some hearing protection. And so I cleaned them off and put them on, and they're really nice.
1: Um, yeah, super, uh, like low. The, yeah, not like big can. Earmuffs. Right.
2: These are the low profiles. So you put them on, and they they fit pretty t- snug. But I don't know how they do it because these are the kind that don't take a battery. Oh, they don't take a battery. No. Hmm. Um, the other ones take four batteries, but they have some kind of way of suppressing.
1: What's that switch do on there? I have no idea. It has two? Yeah, I got got two switches. It must open some kind of valve or something. Yeah,
2: that's what I think it is. When I was reading about it, it's some kind of air valve. Huh. But
1: uh, like, I can hear you talking. Yeah, yeah, but something loud it all?
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of squashes it somehow. Must be
1: like some sort of pressure sensitive. Um,
2: but I guess you know the technology's developed for like shooting ranges and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So. Um, those like, like the crack of a gun is really suppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they, they don't stick out too much. So you can, you know, that's another thing when you got big cans on your head, you're, you're forever like knocking them off or yeah. they're, they're falling off your head if you're doing something physical. So I think these were about 60 bucks or something like that. The I
1: think we have them, we have them in our uh, Amazon storefront, yeah. but obviously they'll be in the, in the description.
2: Yeah. There, I mean, listen, it's not something that um, we do as much as we should, the hearing protection.
1: Yeah, I put in, I have like LG um, earbuds, you know, Bluetooth headset that has a thing that goes around your neck mm-hmm. and then you put them in your ear. I use that as my hearing protection. Right. Which not, I was thinking today I need to find a better, because I do need to put them in more. Like, even when I run the table saw, really, you should, should be wearing yeah. hearing protection. Yeah. yeah. Um, now I only do it. When I sort of, I'm like, oh man, that's hurting my ears. I better put some on. <laughs> drilling metal, cutting when metal. It starts
2: to hurt. Yeah, that's when we recognize it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, between playing, Router. yeah, playing in bands and and working with machinery most of my life. Yeah, it, it's amazing how much hearing I have left.
1: Yeah, I mean, in my you know early early 20s I hung out in bars a lot with live music and you know you go home at the end of the night your ears are ringing
2: it's louder in the audience than it is on stage Mm. most of the time I mean especially um, the bigger the place is because you have to keep your stage volume down for the sound man to to mix the band correctly if you're just blowing from the stage in like one of those small places it could get really loud you know uh, guitars, especially like Marshall Stacks and Mm -hmm. that old thing but typically like even a, a place like the size of stone pony you'll see guitarists they're going to be playing at a little combo amps
1: most of the time yeah um i always found that strange when people have like a big ass amp and they have it mic'd up what's the point you have like a, a four by like two four by fours or yeah. two by whatever yeah two four by 12s yeah like and then you have a microphone in front of it yeah
2: because they're only mic one speaker yeah um uh, well, a lot of, you know, the big rock acts for years and years carried around walls of those dummy cabinets. Ted Nugent, my dad always tells me yeah. about, it was
1: like a, just a wall of speakers. Yeah.
2: And then later on, most of those bands just went to empty cabinets hmm. um, because it, it didn't make any sense to have the road crew carrying around all these full cabinets that you're not plugging in.
1: Yeah, it's just a show.
2: Right, right. Um Back in the olden days, like in the late 60s, you did have to blow from the stage, and that's where that all developed. Like, um, you know, the amps weren't even loud enough to keep up back then. Like, guys like Pete Townsend, they would... He went to high watt, I think it was. It was like, man, you got to get make me a louder amp. You got to make me a a fifty watt. You got to make me a hundred watt. These things didn't exist.
1: I mean, now you get like a twenty watt combo amp. That's right. Blow the windows out of the house.
2: (laughs) Exactly.
1: Like I'm not even kidding. Like, you could hear like the person five houses down playing inside the house. Yeah. And they have this tiny little, and it's like a crappy, cheap one. Yeah. That you got with a Squire Strat or something.
2: All my amps, the biggest one I have is twenty-five watts. It's happens yeah, to be the smallest, too. and that's
1: a tube amp.
2: Yeah, they're all tube amps, yeah. but they're twenty-five and twenty watts. That mm-hmm. the others I have are all twenty watts, and I I play I have nothing with the band. You know what I mean? I'm I'm crushing them if I have to turn up.
1: <laughs> and I guess yeah, you have to be at a certain volume to get the sound that you want. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, that's the thing with tube amps. You know, you most People who play with tube amps want to play right on the edge of breakup. So you need that tube saturation. So for me, that's why smaller wattage amps are better. Because you can, you know, push them harder.
1: I'm um, laughing to myself because this is a woodworking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So was on. that the digressing
2: you were talking about? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Here's what I'm on a segue. Jerry wants to hear about the new <laughs> Maxiwa Flex Edge Bander.
1: Yeah, so uh you might have seen we posted on uh what the hell's today? Today's Tuesday, yesterday's Monday, Monday we finally got the Maxiwa. So we ordered it uh I don't know, two weeks ago from Taco Tools, which they they seems like they're the distributor for because mm-hmm. they're in Pompano Beach, and Maxiwa is, they're based Brazil. in Brazil. Yeah. And they're made, all the, as far as I know, all the machines are made in Brazil. And they're headquartered in Pompano Beach, so they must have some sort of exclusive deal going on. So we ordered it, and uh, it was supposed to ship same day. I don't know what the hell happened. Didn't ship same day, but Thursday was the day it was supposed to show up. Oh, yeah. Didn't show up. <laughs> Friday. Oh, FedEx, it's out, out for delivery on the truck. Doesn't show up. Tracking update's about 4 o'clock. Uh, delivery delayed. Scheduled for delivery tomorrow. this Friday. So Saturday, all morning, I'm checking the tracking. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to head over to the shop later. It'll be there. You know, I can edge-band those parts or at least open it up. Get familiarized with it. Uh. What time was it? I must have went over to the shop about 2 o'clock, did some work, expecting it to show up. You came back from having lunch with Christopher, and then we're standing on the porch waiting for it, Yeah, and it didn't show up. So I went home, 3.45, and then uh, a couple hours later, I checked the tracking. It said, delivery attempted at 3.29, (laughs) (laughs) but business was closed or no one was home. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, we were... Standing yeah. on the porch at three twenty nine, yeah. Yeah. waiting for this person to show up. Of all the just times, by chance, yeah, right. just by chance, we were because I have waited. a text message to my wife at three forty five when I was turning onto Highway thirty six yeah. on my way home. Yeah, so I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, we were standing on the porch yeah. at three twenty nine. Meanwhile, the package doesn't have a. It's, it doesn't need to be signed for. No, so they could have just dropped it off anyway,
2: which they did when they finally right.
1: So, uh. Sunday morning, I called FedEx, <laughs> gave him some hell because it said it was going to be delivered on Tuesday. Now, yeah,
2: they don't work Mondays, right?
1: So the guy said, Yeah, you know, a lot of these home delivery uh branches of FedEx are only open Tuesday to Sunday. I said, Then why the hell aren't they delivering it today? <laughs> so he called over there and and they got it delivered. And all these FedEx people are are contracted out, so I think the person just I don't know. Didn't yeah. want to drive. Maybe we have a, or we're the last stop or the furthest from the other. And they just, they didn't want to do it. was it. a
2: big truck, not a, a semi truck, but it was a big
1: box truck. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did it say FedEx? Oh yeah. yeah. It was a
2: full on. He, he came Well, I'm up. guessing
1: they sent a special truck. Yes. That's what I mean. Because it went on Sunday. Because
2: usually the trucks that come to our place, they're like those independent Like guys. a sprinter van or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: But anyway, back to what we think about it. <laughs> uh, had a little bit of trouble initially getting the amount of glue figured out. Mm-hmm. Now, the instructions said turn counterclockwise for less glue. And I don't know it's a which side of the machine you're standing on. I kept turning counterclockwise, and it wasn't improving. And, uh... Come to find out I was turning it the wrong direction. Yeah. So finally today I got it the other counterclockwise. Right. Counterclockwise, like you had to reach this way and turn Yeah, if you
2: were facing the
1: opposite direction. Right. Like and turning the the knob backhand. Um so regardless of that, it uh I mean, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good value. Yeah, so we got a renewed one, which is a you know, refurbished. Uh, it was, I think it was like 1300 bucks with tax. Um, they retail for, for 1800. So, you know, it's about a half the price of the festival if you buy it new. Mm -hmm. And, um, I haven't used the Conturo. I know people that have it, they like it. I'm sure it's a a better machine than this, you know, festival is with the engineering and stuff. They're really good. They think of a lot of things that you know even we don't necessarily think of they build in these features that um you know are things that you wouldn't you wouldn't think you needed but when you have it it's right. it's good but uh for us i mean it allows us to either keep it mounted on that little table we could build some wings um or if we have something that's big and heavy and not able to be taken to the edge bander you can use it like the contouro and use it yeah. like a mobile yeah what i mean we're Essentially, going to use it for shelves. That's and, really it, yeah. The one-off, you know, frameless. Like we're building those three frameless cabinets now because um, there's beverage coolers in this credenza, so to do an inset and then try and match the sizes, it just gets right. real, real messy. So um, we're doing frameless on that, and like we're going to be edge banning the stuff for for the commercial job coming up. So right,
2: right. Chances are we're going to be doing more commercial work, so yeah,
1: it'll it'll earn
2: it's keep that's for sure have a fuzz, uh, um hanging in front of my eye. so we like it i mean it didn't yeah. really take that long to get used to it no um and uh, it is what
1: it is it's not uh, a big you know feed it in self feeding no there's no pre milling or, no. or uh you know we're the edge bander that i've used is the one at tom shop which was yeah. You know, a brand. It's like a eighty thousand sixty, eighty thousand dollar edge banner probably. Yeah. It's got pre milling. So you cut your piece twenty-four and then you you set the machine so that when it comes out the other end, it's still twenty-four. Mm-hmm. So it does pre-milling, it does the gluing, it does the trimming, it does the the uh the bevel you know, it puts a, a, a eases edge, the edges. Yeah. yeah, I mean it it does all that stuff. So this is just glue it on. And we're using the the Viratex trimmer and the edge trimmer. The end, end trimmer, um, which now that there's not all this excess glue, I mean, it trims nice. Yeah. yeah. And white oak edge banding, which has got to be the most difficult yep. material to deal with. All that run out. Yeah. I mean, you know, white oak is, white oak can be a nightmare. <laughs> Lucky for us, we use it all the time. <laughs> I, that's why I'm laughing.
2: <laughs> good. Getting a bunch more.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got a hundred board feet showing up tomorrow. Yeah. yeah five quarter doors. quartered. That's our bread and butter. Five quarter quarter white oak.
0: Yeah.
1: Which believe it or not, we have none right now. That's unbelievable. We did just cut up a bunch of, what was that? Six quarter for yeah, those for bottle holders.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, was that only six quarter? I mean, didn't we get oh, it? Oh no, yeah, it, was it was eight quarter. quarter eight yeah. quarter. Eight quarter. Yeah.
1: That's yeah. That's what I thought we had six quarter for something yeah um the tops of the altar rail yes
2: yeah I was left over from the church job mm-hmm.
1: so, i mean i'd say uh tentatively yeah initial impressions are good yeah uh one and a half thumbs up yeah yeah i think we're just we're still trying to figure it out
2: yeah it, it takes it takes a certain amount of user uh skill too to navigate. It's not like one of those things you yeah. just shove it in.
1: You have to hit the glue roller and the like pressure roller. Yeah. At the you know, at the same time. Right. If you lose contact from the glue roller, well then you don't have any glue on your piece. So yeah. Um yeah I was having trouble at the ends. I think an in feed and an out feed will help with that. Yeah. Because it's a small it's maybe sixteen by twenty or something.
2: Right. All right, Jerry. So uh Maybe uh, you'll find yourself with one of these soon. Yeah. Let's move on to the questions of the week. I like this first question from yeah, Tim, yeah, Tim a, at True Trade Carpentry on Instagram. An,
1: it's an interesting one.
2: Yeah, I think this is directed at you since uh, the, the episode of last week. Do you think any more pictures of woodpecker to, your Woodpecker Tool Collection, your Jeffrey Woodpecker Tool Collection, will surface?
1: Well, I have an announcement to make. <laughs> I've actually just signed a five-year contract with Bridge City Tools, <laughs> so I'm not going to be able to. <laughs>
2: the c- wood, Woodpecker's <laughs> yeah. ugly cousin? Yeah.
1: No, no. There's going to be no woodpeckers, and there's going to be no Bridge City Tools in my apron again. I'm going to start playing stuff in Manny's apron. I've been framed. That's yeah. all I can say. Like Fall Out Boy cassettes? Yeah. I don't have to plant those already in there. <laughs> Fall Out Boy tickets. Backstage passes. Oh, backstage. oh. <laughs> oh,
2: oh we're doing them dirty. We <laughs> love Manny, though.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it won't blow up your guys' spot, Tim and Manny.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if everybody caught that, but there was... Uh, you know, after last week's episode and our little, uh, you know, uh, I I I won't excuse myself from it, but, you know, you pretty much <laughs> w- went off on woodpecker.
1: Well, yeah, I got an opinion.
2: Yeah, and um, uh, earlier in the week, uh, the, there was a little bit of a conspiring between Tim and Manny, and mm-hmm. they planted one of Manny's woodpecker tools in your apron, took a photo, and then posted it.
1: Up on uh, Instagram, I will say it was really funny. It was, yeah, it was hilarious. I was dying when I saw yeah. it. But getting like some up close and personal time with that tool, I have an even <laughs> lesser opinion <laughs> yeah. of it than I did before.
2: <laughs> how do you like
1: how you take off the little thing so it stands up? I just don't get it. It's like, it's like uh, fixing a problem that doesn't exist. But I think we can explain more. This next question, I uh, purposely put these in this order. All right. This is from uh, from Vince, one of our patrons, Rob Vince P. See, his name has been evolving. I used to think it was Rob Vincep. But now I know it's Rob Vince P. On Instagram. What are your standard or everyday marking and layout tools? So the I'll say it's probably. Less than a half a dozen things. Yeah. Obviously, marking pencil. I I like a .9 pencil. Layout and, uh, I mean, I guess squares and stuff are considered... Would that be marking or would that be layout? I guess kind of both. Yeah, yeah. We use them both ways. So I use a 4-inch PEC double square. That does most of what I need. Actually, what I use even more is a Veritas 6-inch precision square. So it's just a... An L, like a a mini framing square, six inches by three inches or something. Yeah, it's three quarter wide, right? Yeah, three quarter inches wide. That does ninety. That does sixty percent of what I need. Let's say fifty percent. The PEC double square does forty percent. The other ten percent, I'm using. A framing square that we have. It's a craftsman that we know is square. <laughs>
2: and It's no big jewel of a square. It's no, just, it's just a craft, a 16 by 24 about, aluminum.
1: Yeah. And I know I was shit talking aluminum, Uh, but it's an aluminum framing square that we know is square and that we check. And every we have a place then. for it to hang. Up right. It, it sits in one spot. So we don't bang it. It's around. not something that's in and out of pockets all the time that could get dropped or could, you know, get dinged or dented then we have a 18 inch staret with the protractor. I have a six inch Weizu engineer square. That's and the the Veritas cabinet maker sliding square. Mm-hmm. And that's
2: it. Yeah, yeah. And I basically have the same exact stuff. I just use them differently. Like I use the double square a mm-hmm. lot more. I use the double square kind of like you use the that, precision square. The precision square. Yeah, but right. I also have the precision square and. We make sure our tapes are, you know, accurate to one another. Yep. Um I <laughs> I have a thing for tapes. Right now I'm I'm still stuck on the Tajima, but we always make sure that they're measuring to one another. Yeah.
1: Okay. I uh I maybe it's just the way that that we work and and it maybe it's just a coincidence, but we don't do a lot of marking like not marking that that really means anything right concrete like even just cut the tapers on those um uh wine bottle holders could i tell you what degree i have no idea what degree it is it's three quarter down from the top and it's six and a quarter inches in from the side and you connect the dots on the saw i didn't even draw a line yeah point here point there so we don't it looks right So that's how we do it. Like, uh, and I'm, I hate to sound, I don't know, like I'm shitting on everybody, but like the whole woodpecker thing with the holes where you can mark all these lines. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand what people are using that for.
2: (laughs) It is very far into how we work. And uh, we're lucky that we both kind of happen to work that way and um, enjoy, you know, like that, what do you call that big broad-sided uh, Veritas marking square? I think they call
1: it a cabinet maker's sliding square or something like, like that.
2: I introduced that, and it's just like one of those tools. Like, wow, this is really handy when you want to run a long line.
1: Yeah, and to be honest, we only do that for, like, laying out <laughs> screws. That's exactly And it. it's on the back of a cabinet that you're never going to see. <laughs>
2: That's that, we, that's when we start laying stuff out, when we're going to put screws in because we're both so weird that way. We want the screws to be yeah. lined up and measured.
1: Like if I'm cutting something, it's happening with a stop block or, yeah. or if it doesn't really matter, then I'm using my tape and I'm cutting mm-hmm. to a line. Um, maybe I'm squaring a line across, but I'm never marking things like consecutively. Like yeah. I got to mark inch and an eighth and then inch and an inch and five sixteenths and... It just, I don't know. It doesn't happen the way we work. Maybe if you lay out mortises and tenons and stuff a lot. But even then, a double square. Yeah. And we kind of set up our tools. If we're doing
2: something that needs to be repeated, we set up blocks and uh, the
1: machinery and the tooling so that that's doing the repeated cuts. Yeah, like let's say I have to cut the middle out of a square of plywood. I'm not going to, and I want a three-inch frame. I'm not going to measure over three inches. I'm just going to set the fence to three inches right. and just cut it. Yeah. Um. So maybe it's a workflow thing. I don't know. Also, we
2: do we do our drawing on the computer, so mm-hmm. we're figuring out a lot of this stuff without making sawdust too. Yeah. You know things that maybe other people are they're working through on pieces of wood. We've
1: done that virtually. Yeah. I say this all the time, but the thing that always cracks me up. You, when you see like a an ad for a tool, and they're like, "You can mark forty five degree miters." <laughs> Who is cutting to a line on a miter? Right, right. You, you, if your saw can't do it, you... we don't even have a square that's set up to mark forty five. <laughs> no, we have a plastic, plastic yeah. uh, <laughs> speed square that we use for marking ninety. Not even ninety. It's for just
2: marking rough lumber. Yeah, with a piece of chalk.
1: Yeah. Or a Sharpie. Yeah,
2: that's what we use it for.
1: I don't know. To each their own. I, yeah. If you like Woodpecker, that's fine. Um, or And if yeah. you like having all these wacky marking tools, even Incra stuff like that, I just, I just don't get it.
2: I think people would be surprised to see the
1: tools that we use. I wouldn't be able to work one of these tools into my workflow. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I would have a hard time finding a use for it. That double square... I have days where it doesn't even come out of my apron. Yeah. Because what do I need a square line for? Yeah. The miter saw is square. The table saw is square. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I use my finger in a tape measure for most things. Yeah. Just, you know, the, what do you call that? Where you put your finger oh, on yeah, the, and the and edge just, and yeah. just drag
2: it along. Yeah. I don't know. Like, a, sort of like a finger scribe almost. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where you, yeah, that's a great little
1: because what are you what's this line so important for? what's it gotta <laughs> be? this line is is parallel to the edge within one one thousandth of an inch. Well, if I'm putting in number six screws, does it really matter if it's a sixteenth that way, a sixteenth that way? Yeah, I don't know well,
2: you're not really one to make charcuterie boards are you that's where that' sort never of never say comes. never that's where that sort of accuracy comes in.
1: I'll say it once. I've said it again. The money that people spend on stuff like woodpeckers would be better spent on an upgraded table saw or bandsaw, band whatever. Track saw. Something, yeah. yeah. Don't have a job site table saw and then you have $1,000 worth of marking tools. Yeah. Because There's no you might accuracy, be able to mark. Yeah, 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 you can mark a line that's perfectly square, but your saw sure as hell can't cut perfectly square. So Yeah. Get, first get the saw that can cut square and then worry about your line.
2: All right, I feel better. Uh, I'm still getting it up. Corey CT Woodwork on Instagram. I've been following this guy's work uh, for a while now. That bed we were talking about the yeah. bed,
1: and then he sent pictures.
2: Yeah, really nice. Yeah, shit, really nice stuff. Ash and walnut. Um, what's the oddest project you've made?
1: Hmm. Made? I don't know. Worked on. I didn't even really work on this, but uh, reattaching the head onto that pelican. <laughs> 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 Wooden I pelican. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty odd. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that is one of the weirdest things we've had come through the shop. Yeah. Um, you know, although it was really a bunch of nice work, I mean making those confessionals was is kind of an odd yeah. job in the strictest
1: sense of the word. Very like uh doesn't come up much. It's such days. a niche thing yeah. because you know, there's only so many churches that have confessionals. I mean, do is are confessionals only in Catholic I churches? I think it's only in Catholic church. So there's only so many Catholic churches and then most of these places already have confessionals. So yeah. it's not like it's like a where they're constantly getting new confessionals. And I mean, yeah. most of the time they're just like in like a room. Right. So just a, like a, a washroom kind of thing. Yeah. Like ours was just in like one of like the little chapels or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was like you sat in a chair and then the priest sat in a chair yeah. right next to you. Yeah. No, nothing yeah. between you or anything.
2: And these were somewhat traditional in their styling. Like, yeah. you know, last century kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty odd. Um, I made a, uh, I guess I'll call it an urn, mm-hmm. you know, where somebody's remains were to be kept. Yeah, and so that was a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I made it. I made an urn for my brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, those
1: are, I, those are not usual things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the stuff is unique in its own right, but nothing.
2: Right, we always have a twist on something.
1: Yeah, I mean, those Chase lounges were kind of funky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We're like the kings of of functionality and practicality, so... Yeah. Nothing too off the
0: wall.
2: Right, that's why I think the the confessionals fit the bill. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... um, We... I'd I'd like to hear if anybody else has has taken on that job.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we saw the confessionals at that that other church. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I I think there was more sinning going on inside that. Yeah, they were like made out of like Luan plywood. <laughs>
1: That's the sin
2: right there. Yeah. <laughs> the construction of those but things.
1: Yeah, you know, as one of the parishioners, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was like an looked like an outhouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got one here. Uh from Peter. He's a local guy. I think he's in Freehold. Uh Ruster, Ruster Holtz Woodworking on Instagram. He uh we were chatting last week. Now he he came to the US from oh shit. Is it Switzerland? Let me see, because I don't want to misspeak. But uh Yeah, Switzerland. He did a 4-year apprenticeship as a cabinet maker and then he moved to New York in 1985 when he was 23. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So really cool. He's been uh been at it for 40 years. Um he wants to know do we have any concern about welding in a wood shop? Not really. I wouldn't say concern. Yeah. I mean, we uh, we keep fire, a bunch of fire extinguishers around, and uh, you know we're welding on the the concrete floor for the most part. So
2: and we don't have a lot of dust. No, we don't have a lot of flammable things in the shop. Just in general.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, no harsh finishes like that or anything. And it's it's always pretty clean, and we made sure it was extra
2: clean. Yeah. Before we started doing this, I mean we've been vacuuming up all the metal dust. Yeah. But we're aware of it. We're yeah. Not oblivious to what's going on.
1: And I think, you know, the risk is probably pretty low. Mhm. You know, those sparks they fly off and they die out, you know, pretty quick and Yeah.
2: They've been hitting us in the
1: bare arms. Recently. Yeah. I mean, if you ever tried to make a campfire, you know how hard it is to <laughs> to actually right. set wood on fire. <laughs> I mean, you could hold a like a lighter to even like a like a torch, a butane. Right, it would take a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we had, we're uh, cautiously optimistic about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I suppose there are some places that are fire hazards just to begin with. Yeah. So you wouldn't want to introduce anything like welding.
1: Yeah. And that being said, I mean it's not ideal, but
2: no. Um. It's not that much different from uh, any
1: other shop environment the way it's set up. No, I mean, we have, like, the mats and stuff on the floor. But, I mean, yeah, yeah, if it was just bare concrete floor, then it would be basically the same.
2: Yeah, exactly. All right, you want me to read this next one? Yeah. Why don't you guys post the making of the beautiful things? Well, thank you. You do on YouTube. That's uh, Marcello or Marcello, MF Cosi on Instagram. I'm not sure. Probably or so. He's in Brazil. Okay. Because so I know in Italian E after C is hm
1: in the Italian language. I'm not sure about Portuguese. Portuguese is one of those languages where I tried to learn a little bit of Portuguese because I worked with a lot of uh, uh, Brazilian people. And there's, like, uh, sounds that, like, a, a <laughs> person that speaks <laughs> English, we just can't make those sounds. Okay. It's, it's so difficult. <laughs> it's
2: funny how that happened. Portugal being right next to like Spain and yeah. near Italy, how they have their own thing going on. Just yeah. And then how it made its way over to Brazil. Well, yeah, that's the that was the Portuguese colonization. Mm-hmm. But um, why don't we? Because it's a lot of work. That's the biggest thing. Takes a lot of time. Jeff. It really has to, uh, you know, accomplish all of this stuff without much help from me. He's doing all our Instagram stuff. He keeps up with the website. He does our accounting every Friday, um, yeah. in which he stays home and does the accounting. <laughs>
1: that's the old account you're thinking of. Oh, I'm
2: sorry, got confused. Um, so uh, that's the thing. It, we're not content creators. We we do this. To earn a living, to feed our families and ourselves, and yeah. we we just try and stay involved enough so that we could promote our business mm-hmm. and be a part of the twenty first century.
1: Yeah, and you know, we definitely we get enjoyment of uh, in sharing all this stuff. And yeah. um, if we could just snap our fingers and these videos mm-hmm. would then, shit, I'd put them up every day. But uh, I mean, I have footage now on my computer from the bed I built my son and. You know, it's 75 clips that need to be yeah. stitched together and a voiceover and editing. And I'm not a video editor. I'm a woodworker. And no. I got to come, you know, come down here after work and sit down. And I just, I barely have the, you know, the energy or, or desire to do it.
2: I mean, what does John Peters tell us every time he comes over to, to film? And
1: he's a professional at yeah. it. Yeah. Well, he likes the behind the camera stuff. <laughs> right. Whereas I'd rather be in front of the camera because yeah. I don't want to do all the editing, yeah. and it's hard. It's like writing for me. Writing is very difficult because I'm never satisfied, and I always want to go back and tweak it, and I'm like, so editing is the same thing, which the podcast is nice because I just clip the front, clip the back, and that's it. Um, So trying to stitch together a video, it's really hard. Yeah. I mean, the two I we put out... Because you want it to be good. Yeah, two... Two, like, YouTube videos, we'll call them. One was um, making this cabinet, like, oh, it was making shaker doors. So it's mm-hmm. the doors on this podcast cabinet over here. And uh, the other one was making molding on the table saw. It was, like, editing that was, it sucked. It's, it's just... Grueling. It's a It's a 20-minute or, I don't even know how long. The one, I think, is only five minutes or something, but you have to go back and watch and rewatch this thing so many times. And it's like, do I trim this to, to 17.2 seconds or 17.9 seconds? And the transition, it's just, it's not, it's just not easy. Now, if we had someone that could do the filming and editing and stuff, I'd be all for it. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much that would,
2: um, help us as a business, if if we could find a way to incorporate it, where we could um, you know pay for it and it, it pays oh, for yeah. itself. But it would slow us down in the shop, and and we're already you know it's yeah. it's to the bone.
1: That's the thing when you're doing it yourself, you have to move the camera, set up the shot. Your batteries die. You got to change the battery. You got to plug this in. Make sure mm-hmm. you don't knock over the camera. Um, make sure that. The machine isn't moving. The camera, it just it slows you down. If we had someone there, you know, you would you'd have time where you had to stop and you know do a talking head to the camera, but um, it wouldn't be nearly the encumbrance that it is trying yeah. to. And then when you have two people working, well, it's like if I'm trying to do a, a shot where I need to talk, well, then you can't be doing anything. I know. So <laughs> we can't play music. Uh, I mean, it's 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 really difficult. Because even the times that John Peters comes over to shoot,
2: you're doing the on camera stuff. I can't do anything. Because you got to be out of the shot. You can't turn on any tools. Yeah, you you, can't be making any noise. So what? (laughs) You just kind of got to watch and nod your head.
1: Yeah. I mean, like when Danny came by and like that worked out. Yeah. Because we just worked. And he, you know, took, but it's not like a composed, that wasn't a composed how to Mm -hmm. start to finish kind of thing um yeah he really knows
2: what he's doing yeah
1: i mean we tried to find someone the thing is we if we can't make money from it then we can't pay someone to do it so right. um the youtube channel is monetized now but you know a video has to have a lot of views to make any money and um you have to get to a certain point before it starts making money and if we if we're paying someone now and the the return isn't going to be enough to cover no. it. You know what I mean? Um, we've been monetized for a couple weeks, and it's like six dollars. So, I'm yeah. and I'm not complaining, but you know, it's just uh, it's hard. It's we would love to do it, but it's not the 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 work and uh, financial commitment outweighs the rewards.
2: Yeah, that's the real difference between a content creator and somebody who's an
1: actual craftsperson who's doing yeah. it for a living. Like if we had an if we had 9 to 5s and we just did this on the weekend, well then yeah, it could take us a month to build a side table mm-hmm. and we could film every step of the way and then edit it and put it out and and then, you know, maybe it gets a million views and right. makes money, but
2: <laughs> we have a week to build that same table right. or else we don't make money. Yeah. the wife wants to know why she can't get a facial this month
1: yeah (laughs) and we're running a business so it's like you know there's we do 40 hours in the shop and there's all this work outside of that so i'm not coming in on saturday to shoot a video Mm -hmm. about whatever
2: we need to regenerate and to uh you know re-energize
1: it's just part of it i mean not to mention like we're going to do a video about building this 32 by 32 by 100 inch steel wine cabinet with there's so, and the credenza and the wall and it's too much. There's too many steps. It's not just a coffee table or uh. It, it's, it's too much. It'll be a 10 hour long video <laughs> or it's like, we might as well just put a picture up because right,
2: cause you can't, you can't give out the details without it being uh this long drawn out thing that. Isn't going to be entertaining.
1: Or even if it is, then the workload to produce it is exponentially higher than if it's a, you know, a two-minute long video. Yeah. Most people just want to see the results, you know, what... Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I'm one to watch these long-format things, but um, I think if somebody was going to watch the stuff that we do, they're looking for long-format, detail how-tos and looking for to pick up tips and stuff. Um, That's like me. Like, I don't watch these accounts that are just, like, all fluff. And, you know, I watch stuff that's—I want to gain something from watching. This isn't just entertainment.
2: I mean, Norm was the master at it. In 20 minutes, he put something together and explained it for the most part. Yeah. Um, I mean, they were usually fairly concise builds, but still— he made you feel like you could actually go do it after yep. watching it. Well, that
1: was uh, So that's why. I think we gave a pretty simple answer. Concise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going here from Brian, Grey Point Woodworks on Instagram. Simple question. Millions of best push stick videos on YouTube. Do you have a favorite and why? <laughs> uh, you know, I never watched one of those. Um, the
2: one, uh, I, I like the shock that, uh, you made and I don't think I have one favorite because I like a different kind of push stick for a few different operations. Like there's ones where I want my hand to be as, you know, farther away. Uh-huh. Um, and there's some that, uh, I want to make sure that, uh, I got a you know, a strong grip, like if I'm gonna have to be pushing like a big heavy thing through. Mm-hmm. So it, it all depends. But I like something with a good handle, gives me the right angle where I can press into the fence and down at the same time. Um so I,
1: I don't I don't have any any real preference as long as it works. I'm a fan of uh I I mean I just make my own, but Sort of based on the John Hines one that I mean, he's probably got a bunch of different ones that he's got videos on, but uh, I don't know what you would call it. It's like an L shaped or like a almost okay. like a seven. You know, it's got a handle that kind of tilts forward mm-hmm. like this, and then a straight uh, thing like that. If you're if you're just <laughs> listening, you have no <laughs> idea what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's got a handle, and then beneath it, it comes parallel to the table saw. With, like, a little notch in the back, you know, right. to hook onto the thing.
2: I like the notch in the back
1: thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not a big fan of the ones that, like, are notch at the end of a stick. I will say John brought over one of his push sticks when he did, uh, it was, like, episode, tw- you believe that was, like, episode 24? Holy crap. Yeah. Um, that was his tool of the week, and he left it with us. Mm-hmm. And I've been using it a bunch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I like uh, that John Hines one the most. And I've been using mm. the John Peters one. That's good for, for uh, like, thin stuff that... Yeah. Yeah,
2: you know, um, like, for store-bought ones, I don't even know the name of it, but that big orange
1: one... I, I hate store-bought push sticks. Um,
2: that one's good if you're doing stuff that's, like, three-quarters of an inch wide, because that's about how
1: wide that thing is. I don't like the backstop on that thing. It just... Yeah, it doesn't seem very Yeah, it doesn't seem very like strong.
2: Yeah. Um that thing's good too if you happen to need to joint something. That's kind of small cuz it's got like a V cut in the yeah. in the rubber. But for the most part I like a wood push
1: stick. Yeah, you ever run into the blade with a plastic push stick? No. I have. It's fucking bad. Well, maybe that's why the Bosch table saw comes with this red or maybe it's black now. Red plastic. You know the kind with the notch at the end. Yeah, and I ran into a dado stack with that. Oh God. God. T- And it it exploded into a million pieces. Holy it was terrifying. <laughs> I like plywood,
2: three quarter inch plywood. Yeah, I I like the the half inch plywood stuff too because it gets closer to the you know blade. Like a lot I'll of times, just cut right through it. Yeah, I'm reaching for a push stick when the the blade's really close to the yeah. fence too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't you we have a saw stop, so yeah. I know you're not supposed to get um too comfortable, but unless it's 2 inches or less, I'm not yeah, using a push yeah. stick really.
2: Yeah. So, um I got to check out some of those uh videos. Best don't waste your time. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> <laughs> This is a great question. I wish I had time to ponder it. Yeah. If a tool manufacturer asked you to help them create a new tool, what would you want it to do? That's uh, from Matt, one of our uh, patrons.
1: He's Haygood Hardwoods on Instagram. I'll go first. Let so you think about it. To me, one of the biggest things that's missing is uh, a cabinet saw with a scoring blade. I know there there are ones that exist um that have existed in the past I guess or so I've heard um but I don't know of one that that exists now like I don't understand why sawstop or or powermatic or somebody doesn't come up come out with a cabinet saw with a scoring blade mhm because cross cutting plywood on a regular table saw with a you know a, a low tooth count it's just, it's not good. So if we could keep a 42 combo blade on the saw and cross cut plywood, I mean, it would be amazing. So for me, that's like the biggest thing that's missing. I mean, even with a high tooth count, you still could get uh tear out on a yeah, cross cut. Yeah. Um, well, it's just another little motor and a tiny little blade. I mean, if, there was
2: somebody that allowed you to mark sixteen and sixteenth inch mm. lines. Bridge City. Yeah, they're developing it. You know what? If I could get involved from the ground up to make my own tape measure,
3: mm.
2: I would do that. There's always Alibaba. <laughs> because I have, I mean, I don't know how many I gave away. I couldn't even count them. But if I Pulled in the ones from the basement and in the house and the six that I have on my bench. I might have 20 tape measures still. Oh, yeah. I think I have six just in this house. Yeah. Um, I might have three in my truck. Yeah. There's something about it. I want it to feel perfect in my hands. I want it to go in and out of my apron perfectly. There's all these. I want the blade to look and feel a certain way. If I could do that, that would be awesome to have. Like, you know how like guitarists have like their signature model guitar yeah. or pedal or something. I want my signature model tape measure.
1: I really like those Starrett's. So I don't think I have any complaints about it. Yeah, for the shop. Yeah, it's good. There's something you know
2: the thing with the Starrett, It's like it's when got I,
1: great ergonomics.
2: I now, I and I have a couple of those starts and they're good. And I had, like, when I sold my Triumph, I bought my wife wouldn't get on that Triumph. She was afraid of it. When, this is when we were first married, and it's she thought she, gold wing. W- she wanted to go riding with me. So I went out and I bought a Beamer, and I bought a GS1150. Now, this was like one of those, sort of like uh Baja, you know. It's it'll go on dirt roads and stuff like that, but it's pretty heavy because it's an 1150. But it's got heated grips. It's got you know hard bags. It's 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 a BMW, so it's got it's like a fest tool. Yeah. It was a beautiful machine, but there was nothing. There was no exhilaration. <laughs> you know, they're talking
1: about tape measures here. That
2: it, you know, I hold it. It's just, oh it's God. no, there's no exhilaration. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, now you know there's something wrong with me, right? Oh, my <laughs> God.
1: I can't even imagine what exhilaration from a tape measure might be. I, I, I want to feel... I
2: want to. I don't want to just m- to you know show me the markings and the numbers. I want to like have that feel like when I take the tool out. It's like yeah. <laughs>
1: you're gonna have to z- design your own because I don't think you're ever gonna find that. The stare like the the thumb ramp for the lock, is really yeah, good. It's yeah. got a big flare in it, so it's really easy to lock down. Got just enough rubber to stick to shit yeah. and not not move around. I don't know. Yeah, I, I like, like the tape on the Tajima better than the Starrett. Mm, the I like, white. I don't know. I don't like the white. I, that's the. I like the white. I did, but now I don't. I like the white. And I wore out every st- every Tajima that I had. Yeah. Really fast. I have yeah. ones where the the hook is like almost yeah. ninety degrees. Yeah. Turn that's the other no way. good. That's no good. And the uh, for me they have too much of a a curve. Curve. In it does. The blade.
2: That's it. It does have a lot
1: of curve. I in want that a blade. pretty flat blade. Me too. That way I don't have to turn the tape yeah. too much to get a line.
2: See, uh this is all going into my custom tape.
1: You better get on fusion and start designing it. I to tell you the truth, I need so
2: I need like an industrial engineer to walk me through it because I, I don't know what I don't know.
1: You're the one looking for exhilaration. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Bryce is an engineer. He might be able to help yeah. you. We better move on.
2: I bet I bet uh
1: Matt, sorry he asked that question. Tape measure and a scoring blade. I'm sure there's other things that we can think of.
2: Yeah. I told you that people would be surprised at how we work, you
1: know, the kind yeah. of tools we use. <laughs> Here's one from uh, Carlos V Lasiraptor on Instagram. How do I prep fine furniture for storage? Are climate-controlled facilities good? Yeah, well, I mean, I I wouldn't put it in
2: a non climate-controlled uh-uh. facility. That's for sure. Yeah, humidity and temperature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want you definitely want that. And, and um, think about it. If you have that. All you really want to do is cover it, you know, keep yeah. the dust and debris off. If yeah. if it's a dry and humid humidity controlled and temperature controlled environment, right? Yeah. Can you think of anything else you'd want?
1: I mean, we're no experts on anything like this. Yeah. And I I don't know, uh we're just assuming that climate control facilities are actually legitimately you know, yeah. So we can't yeah. comment on the uh, the efficacy or the uh, you know how climate controlled these things really are, but if the the climate is controlled and it, it stays at thirty five, forty yeah. percent humidity and seventy degrees, then yeah, if as long as it's covered up, I mean even even if it's not covered up, it's right. just gonna get dusty. The dust, yeah. That's the only. So yeah. wrap it in some moving blankets with some stretch wrap, and that's it. I mean, yeah. Maybe you take drawers out and stuff in case there is some movement. You don't get things that get Wears. pinned up inside yeah. and start to push things apart. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you if you store something and that's, you know, in the same conditions as, say, a garage, bad things can happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, we know that. Yeah. We've seen it. Um, so th- that's – but as far as prepping, you know you, – you made a good point there, as far as maybe um, taking some drawers out and things like that, so that parts don't lock up within the piece
1: as much as you know. As you could avoid that. Yeah, doors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have inset doors that have tight gaps, you don't want those to potentially expand, and because mm-hmm. you need to take into account the <coughs> environment that it's coming from. If it's coming from, you know. Uh, an overly dry environment and going into a climate controlled where you might see a ten percent increase in relative humidity, then you could potentially have problems. Yeah, yeah. Um.
2: It's like first storage in a way. There are places that, you know, do you know about that stuff? What is like it? If you have a fur, like a fur coat. Oh uh, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. You put those uh, carpet, like if you have uh, like fine a fine rug, uh-huh. people roll them up. We used to do it in Brooklyn. We'd roll it up. For the summer months. Yep. And you put it in storage, and they keep it climate controlled.
1: Yeah, my mom, I, I think she still has, has a fur coat. And used to bring it to this. We used to mm-hmm. drive to Trenton. And yeah. And this place. Yeah, you know. fur storage. Yeah. Oh, what the hell was that place called? I forget. Man. But same kind of thing. Yeah, I totally forgot about that.
2: <sighs> that beer's gone. Yeah, it was good. We're not even out of the first page. Oh, this is good. We're only an hour in. I'm hypercritical, Copeland Woodworks says on Instagram. He's hypercritical of everything he makes. Are you the same, and will it ever end? It's really taking a toll.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd say just cozy up to that feeling and get used to it, because as far as I can see, it doesn't end. No. I mean, I've been doing this for or some version of this for 10 years, so um, no signs of stopping here.
2: No, no. Um, I'll give you some semi from secondhand professional advice. Secondhand because it's from my professional therapist. <laughs> now I see I've seen um, like regular therapists and and like the real psychiatrists and all that stuff. And they always say that you probably couldn't do the type of work you do if you didn't have some of that running through. Yeah. You. Yep. Well, um, and we have a question that's kind of related to that later. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's well, um, good. Maybe not. You you just have to learn to manage it. And like Jeff says, get comfortable with it and try and um, get accustomed to it that it's not making you crazy. And just understand it's part of this process. Yeah.
1: And that. If you take it in the right way, it's actually beneficial because, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than beating yourself up and saying, oh, man, I could have done better. And, you know, this piece could have been like this or that. You just use it for the next one. And it's a learning experience.
2: Right,
3: Right.
1: Yeah. You have to
2: learn how to frame these things. And what helps for us is that because we're not doing this for ourselves where we have. This infinite amount of time, we do have to release these
1: projects out into yeah.
2: into the wild, so to speak. <laughs>
1: I mean the the uh, the best people I've ever worked with were the ones who were the not satisfied mm-hmm. with the thing when it was done. Right. I mean, when you people who like send something out and they're like, "That's perfect. That's great." Yeah. Usually, it's, it's they're not, not striving to get better. Yeah. It's just you know they're. Uh, just going through the motions.
2: So, again, uh, go back to music. The analogy is like once you mix a record, you you know, you like it at that time and you're satisfied with it. But as the time goes on, you, you're never happy with it. You listen to it and you go, oh, man. Uh, can't this, believe we did that. Yeah, this is too loud. Why would we put that part in there? Mm. This is, oh, I can't hear the, the cowbell. More yeah. cowbell. Uh, so... Consider yourself uh, fortunate. Yeah. Um, and uh, be easy on yourself. Yeah. Go easy on yourself, dear. All right. Uh, oh, another good question. Yeah.
1: It's from Joffit, one of our patrons, Joffit Hernandez on Instagram. Mercedes Sprinter versus Ford Transit. Uh, yes, please. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean... Either one. If cost was no object, of course I would choose the Mercedes.
1: Yeah, those uh, four wheel drive Mercedes. Yeah. Are, they look, I mean, I can't speak to all the specifics of these mm-hmm. vehicles, but they look nice. Yeah.
2: The other thing with owning a car like that, or in this case, a, a van, um, they cost a bit to keep up, yeah. too. You know, all the things like oil Parts changes are more and. And tune-ups, those things, they, they the saying in the motorcycle game was, they you know, they give you the bikes as cheap as they can because they get you coming in the back door. Yeah, it's like
1: a loss leader. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a PlayStation. I forget which one, but they were, might have been the PlayStation 3 when they put a Blu-ray in it. They were actually selling them at a loss and all the games and everything is yeah, where they made their yeah. money because it had a Blu-ray player in it. Must have been, must have been a PlayStation Two. I don't know. I I never played, really played that. But um, yeah, they were selling them at, at a slight loss, and they were making it all up on the oh, games yeah. and the controllers and all that stuff.
2: <laughs> no dopes. No. Yeah. But you know, we've been talking about it because you know we could really use uh, a nice van. I mean, who couldn't? Yeah. Um, and once I sold my big truck last year. I've been driving around uh, my uh, hand-me-down Passat (laughs) and because I don't really drive anywhere. You know, I I go to rehearsal like once a week. Mm -hmm. I probably put uh, about 100
1: miles a month on the car maybe. Um, I've had my truck since October, and I just cracked 4,000 miles. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, I've been actually looking at one of those minivan vans, not like a a minivan like uh for families,
1: but the um what do they call them like a City Master or something tr- like that? Transit Connect, the ProMaster yeah. City, yeah. Yeah, like Mercedes Metris.
2: Yeah, I'm going I'm going to take a hard look at one of those. If it can, you know, sort of n- not drive around like a box truck cuz that's that's the thing, that's a big turnoff. You
1: don't want to drive to band practice in a box truck.
2: No, or Anywhere else, really? You know, yeah, you want to be, to be somewhat the, comfortable. To the quarter store—that's what's beautiful about, like your truck. It drives so nice. Yeah. Um, but I would take either of those. I mean, in a heartbeat. But I'd go with the Mercedes
1: for sure. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. <laughs> I mean, I even like crunch the numbers. We put twenty grand down on a used van. We still don't come out on top, <laughs> right? We just rent it, you know. It's still four hundred, five hundred bucks a month plus insurance, and we don't make that many deliveries. Or so no. I mean, our material comes to us, so we're not picking up material. Uh, most of the stuff we build is pretty um, like a long term build, so we're only delivering every every couple months. Everything else is if it's quick, it's small enough to fit my truck. Mm-hmm. So it's like it just doesn't really just doesn't really make sense. We get a trailer but none of us know how to back one up. Yeah, and I really am not <laughs> not interested in really learning. <laughs> Plus you, you know, you go somewhere like let's say we went to the Newark job, you're going to park oh a freaking trailer out I know.
2: Even going up to um, uh, Rutherford. Yeah. Because you get you go down the block one way, you got to come back around the yeah. other way. Everything's a big mm mm-hmm. Mhm. The vans really would be nice. So, um, yeah, keep that patron money coming.
1: (laughs) Reminds me when we were in Vegas and we walked up to, like, the Ford. You know, they had all the Ford trucks. He goes, (laughs) oh, how big's your fleet? (laughs) Uh,
2: Zero. Zero, yeah. (laughs) No, no, we really appreciate the question and your support. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll keep you informed. We'll yeah. see what happens here. Um, do you have to love what you do to be good at it? That's from Manny. Too Manny mistakes. I heard of that guy. Yeah,
1: I think he does some welding. One of our patrons. One of our good close friends. Yeah. I don't uh, think uh, everybody's going to like this answer. I think, unfortunately, you don't. Yeah. You know, some people can separate, separate. You know, a, what it's called a passion and a job, and be proficient at the job, but not have any passion.
2: Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. I mean, the things that that are required to do our job well are, you know, accuracy, an eye for detail. Um, I don't I don't think um unless you get into the artistic part of it, mm-hmm. like with design, you might have to have, you know, to be more creative, you might have to have more of a love.
1: Yeah. That, I wouldn't say it's a requirement. No. I think if the question was will loving uh will loving your job make you better at it, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you need to love your job to be good at it. Right.
2: Right. If you're ordinarily, a, if you are if you don't like your job and you're operating at a 7 and you love your job, you might be operating at a 9 or a 10.
1: Right. And at 7, you might be good. Right. But if you love it, you're going to be better. Yeah,
2: I agree. 100%. Um, and the thing is, you have this... Little internal voice about quality and your character and all these other things, and this comes into play. We know that there's people that work at places that they don't enjoy going to, yeah but their inner voice isn't going to let them do a half ass job mm-hmm. when they know they could do something better yeah it's just it's not their makeup so. I think uh, I think you hit it on the head.
1: Yeah, so short answer, no.
2: <laughs> this is interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I, I was just about to get my answer to oh. the question. Uh, this is from Vince again, one of our patrons, Rob Vince P. on Instagram. Installing sauce hinges with a domino. Have you heard about this technique? No, I have not. Me neither. I don't know what kind of big-ass domino... Yeah, I mean, does uh, one of the like the
2: what what number is it? A- the eight hundred is it?
1: The two hundred eight is what we typically use for three quarter for like three quarter one inch material. Is it 208 or a two hundred four. Right,
2: but that big Domino, the oh, bigger yeah, Domino, yeah,
1: the the yeah, seven was it seven hundred?
2: Yeah, I couldn't remember what number yeah. it was.
1: I think it goes up to. Let's see. I want to say 12 millimeter, but it's got to be bigger than that because that's only one size up from the...
2: I mean, if there were certain uh, hinges, sauce hinges, that fit with um, certain domino cutters, that would be uh, amazing. Yeah. It would sure make things fast. Those sauce templates are kind of uh, hit
1: and miss. We, we've we talked about that in the past. Yeah, they're um, they're a little sloppy for my... My mm-hmm. preferences. I think that they do that on purpose for to mitigate any sort of alignment issues. Yeah, because then they'll have people calling. I'm like, what the hell? My Doesn't door. Fit. Yeah, the hinges <laughs> don't line up. I can't get
2: them in. <laughs> Need a little bit of what we used to hear called the float factor.
1: Yeah, so it only goes to fourteen millimeter,
2: hmm.
1: which is, and then we're talking width there. Yeah, nine yeah. sixteenths. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess there is a sauce hinge that's only nine sixteenths wide, but the ones we use are the smallest one yeah. we use is wider than that. Right. Let's it's say probably was, about three quarters of an inch wide. If it was
2: going in a three quarter inch thick door, 9/16, then nine sixteenths would probably be appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there might be somebody out there shooting some YouTube videos of that. Yeah. (laughs) You see what we could be doing?
1: But we don't have one of those big cutters. No. That thing will cut two and three quarter inches deep. Wow. You could do 144 millimeter. Yeah, we just have the 14 by 140. uh, 14 by 140. We just have the little 500. Yeah. Vince has the big one. Wow, I am feeling a little bit less than right yeah. now. Yeah, he, uh, he said we can borrow it.
2: Oh, all right. It's a long ride to Brooklyn. It, we got to go on a field trip to Brooklyn. I got to take you to Spumoni Gardens. You got to. I don't need this pizza. Is, this is going to be one of your off the diet days because <laughs> you are going to. We're going to have to go to Spumoni Gardens and then we're going to go to Rollin Roaster. What? Rollin Roaster. Rollin Roaster. Yeah, roll is that ice cream. No, it's uh, roast beef.
1: Uh, Roast beef that's after the
2: pizza? Well, you know, that'll be for dinner. We'll go, uh, like, lunch at Spumoni Gardens. And then you get Spumoni at Spumoni Gardens? Yeah, you, we're yeah. going to have, like, a nice Sicilian slice. Yeah, corner, obviously. Yeah, and then we'll get some Spumoni. mm we Then we'll, uh, we'll go through the old neighborhood. I do like Spumoni and Sicilian pizza. Yeah. And then uh, on the way out, because the rolling roaster is right off the Bell Parkway. mm um, well, actually, Spamoni Garden's not too far from the Bell Parkway either. Well, uh, and have you been to Nathan's in Coney Island? No,
1: never been to Coney Island.
2: I've never been to Brooklyn. Oh, oh man. It's a lot to
1: see. And I've been to, to, like, the Bronx Zoo. I've been yeah. to uh, South Street Seaport. I haven't been to New York a whole lot.
2: Yeah, so uh, rolling roast a nice uh, roast beef sandwich with a dipped uh, well, like a French in dip. Th- and cheese fries. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. Really good. Really good.
1: That does sound good.
2: I know. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I haven't eaten today. <laughs>
2: I know, you're crazy. This is what it is. All right. So Rob, we haven't heard of that. Uh maybe you can re- direct us. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested to see. Uh we've talked about this briefly. What yeah. are your thoughts on educating young people to get into woodworking? That's uh, from Corey CT Woodwork on Instagram, because he, he's in he's involved with something I think. Or he there does, is. yeah.
1: He teaches woodworking. Yeah. Um, this is I had this conversation with a couple guys. I think what really needs to happen is there needs to be some sort of government program to make this happen, because mm-hmm. the problem is. Um, no one can afford to bring in a worker with no skill. No. We can't afford to bring in a worker that has skill. <laughs> no. That, that's, how, that's how much they slow us down. So what needs to happen is, like, um, you know, the government's subsidizing all kinds of BS that that right. doesn't need to be subsidized. So they need to take some money. And, like, if we could bring someone in and pay them minimum wage and the government could subsidize that and, mm-hmm. and pay them a living wage and all we're paying is... Let's say, let's say we pay them eight dollars an hour, and they're paying them twelve dollars an hour on top right. of that, or or twenty dollars, whatever. And they're whatever taking care of make.
2: their taxes because that'll yeah. kill you too,
1: right? Yeah, there would be there would have to be some sort of tax incentive to us too, where we don't have to pay um, their their workers' their, comp, yeah, and, and the so, all the social security. FICA. Um, then it would give us incentive to teach someone right how to do these things. We need to bring someone in that can make the money that we're paying them and more. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why the hell would you bring someone in? Right. So that's the biggest struggle for everyone. I, I talk to all these guys, and all they do is complain about the people that work for them because nobody nobody is worth what they're getting paid for most mm-hmm. of the time. Um, and that's why we don't have anybody. The employees don't have the drive because you can't pay them enough, like, Mm-hmm. You know, people don't want to work hard and learn on the after work and and uh strive to be better if they're not making a, a living wage or a wage that they're they're satisfied with. It's um, you know, you can't bootstrapping doesn't doesn't no. always work. So, and the time frame,
2: the young people we've encountered think after a couple of weeks they're going to be doing things that we do. Right. When you tell them it's years and the process never ends, actually.
1: Right. Yeah, like, you can't just sweep the floor and then expect to just... The next day, you know how to use a table saw. No. right? Well, you need to sweep the floor today, and when you get done with work, you go home and you're watching a video about how to use mm-hmm. a table saw or reading a book and this and that. Um, there's no incentive for people to do that if they don't see a, a career that can develop from it. Right. So it's multifaceted. It comes from, you know, us needing to be able to make money and... Um, see value in someone and they also need to see value in the job so if you're making you know seven twenty five an hour sweeping the floor, you don't give a shit about learning how to use a table saw because you could right. just go get a job at Chipotle making more money right The two best
2: helpers I ever had they both went off into real careers mm-hmm. outside of the shop they they loved working in the shop. Christopher always says, if I won a lottery. I just come back and work in your shop for free. I hope he wins, <laughs> <laughs> but there's no money, you know. And they see how hard it is to, you know, earn a living. And these yeah. these were kids that had, you know, strong educations and other career drives. So the. I haven't run across a kid that came up to me and said, I really want to do this, and I'm willing to work for five years to to learn this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a lot to expect from someone. Of course. So it's, you know, there needs to be some sort of out. We've been, the industry has been hit so hard by, uh, you know, offshore manufacturing and, and the dumbing down of the trades and just, the public perception that we need help to make this happen. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen on its own.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I when I worked by myself and I was trying to figure out how I could get help in the shop, I mean, I tried every avenue. I went to schools. I went all over. And the closest thing I could come up with was creating a contract that was, let's say, six years long where – by the end of the six years, the per- I was making the greater investment in the beginning in time and money. But then that person who had been learning, they were going to be paying it back in years four, five and six yeah. because they would be a, a big help in the shop and they weren't going to be paid like they could right. get. They'd, they'd have to pay back those first years. Yeah,
1: it's like going to like a, a school, basically, mm-hmm. like at a... I mean, that's what an apprenticeship, it's an apprenticeship.
2: And who, you can't, I mean, you're going to find a stranger to, to sign up for that? No. I couldn't even interest any of my
1: relatives. Can't even find a stranger to come sweep the floor. For... I know.
2: So everybody's also been influenced by the television and the videos, yeah. the DIY TV that makes it look like you can just, you know, we, we stopped into this house, and these homeowners don't know which end of the hammer to hold, and in 25 minutes, we're going to remodel their whole house.
1: Yeah, we have five days to to gut the kitchen. And, and here, we sound. gave
2: them safety glasses and a sledgehammer. Yeah. Let's demo this place. And a hard hat. Yeah. Oh, okay, now we're going to build a coffee table. Out of, yeah. Out of this old, old door. The old wood paneling. It's... So there's there's not enough realism yeah. injected into this conversation as far as the expectations of the novice go. Mm-hmm. But we love the idea of education. We love the idea of getting more people involved in the trades. But I'll go off on a slight tangent here. The thing that has sort of been annoying me lately is this, um, and I don't want to uh, you know, uh, usually alienating people is your job here, <laughs> is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like the whole maker movement, yeah, where making cutting boards and uh, charcuterie boards and all this stuff, where you're spending hours and hours making things and then kind of giving them away or selling them at giveaway prices. To me, that hurts the trades. That hurts the real trade. Yeah, um, because it it there's you. I don't find people really developing their skills beyond that one introductory thing. Mm-hmm. And we can't make, we have all the tools in the world and we can't make a cutting board uh, and sell it for a profit on, at $20. No, no. So not that's, even at even $200. No. So that's setting this unrealistic price floor, yeah. um, which to me is it's bad. Just like the TV shows are bad for the trades.
1: Yeah i will say that that probably has less of an impact because, um, you know, a, we don't really want to make a living doing that. Cause it's not not as fulfilling. And I mean, you want to make, uh, just butcher blocks for 50 years. It doesn't sound like a very fulfilling life. Um, I forget where the the hell I was going with that.
2: But how it affects the trades and things like that. Yeah. Um, people's perception of what's possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But try and try and make a piece of furniture and it's not going to work out the same, you know, right. like it's, it's sort of this, uh, this more introductory type of stuff that, that, that typically aren't, <clears throat> it's more of like a hobbyist type thing. And there's not so many businesses trying to, you know, they're competing against Boos. They're not competing against green street joinery or, or, uh, you know, Justin De Palma or, or Pete, uh, right. Ruster Holtz.
2: No, I understand they're not direct competition. I'm, it's more about, to me, the the perception, the public yeah. perception. These are people that are spending more time on social media.
1: Oh and, yeah, no, and, no, you know, I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing. But it's, it, but I think, yeah, it's not a, it's not so much the physical product. It's the perception, right? Which ties into the whole like TV, and it's just this whole people. They think because you can make a cutting board and sell it for twenty dollars that that you can make a piece of furniture for $500 and so you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, what did the the guy come to come? We had this tree leaning over the shop, this dead uh, uh, choke, cher- cherry. choke cherry. We finally got a, a tree trimmer to come and, uh, you know, an arborist to come and take it down. So <laughs> the lead guy <laughs> walks into the shop <sighs> We got a, a eight foot tall armoire, solid cherry. There's a solid Dutch door. What does he say? I know somebody who does this. Yeah, he makes cornhole boards. He makes plywood cornhole boards. This, to me, is part of the the misperception that's just, yeah. um, you know, spread.
1: Yeah, like the fact that he he couldn't distinguish those right. two things, and like it'd be like if you went to Restaurant Nicholas and said, oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, my buddy is a cook. He works at McDonald's. Exactly. Or works at Applebee's. He runs the fry later. Yeah, it's just... uh,
2: And it's that perception that uh, is, uh, I feel like we're, you know, you know, painted with this broad brush and people don't understand. Yeah. Um, And so when a kid comes uh, in and he wants to learn the trade... He doesn't know that it's, you know, this is 5, 10, 15, 20 years in the making.
1: Yeah, they don't realize that, you know, it takes real skill and dedication to mm-hmm. become. They think it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm just fucking. I'm going to mix it, up this epoxy just and pour it into a mold. It, slap it together. Um, no, it takes real learning and dedication to a craft to, to be good at what you do.
2: All right. I think I feel better getting that off
1: my chest. <laughs> On page two,
2: <laughs> another great question. <laughs> you can't tell. A lot of times, I read these questions for the
1: first time as a, just looking at the page. What's the the, uh, the best way to waste twenty minutes for me? Dropping something you need and then looking for it. <laughs> That's from my buddy Justin Justin De Palma on Instagram. <laughs> oh man. We got a bunch of them. Yeah. yeah. I, I do that constantly where it it's never the same thing. It's never just my tape or the I put something down and I just can't find it. It's the same yeah. thing. I just can't find it. And yeah. then it'll be right in front of my face.
2: Yeah. Jeff got us a little gift for the shop and we've been wasting some not so much lately cuz we've been too busy. But we we could easily waste 20 minutes.
1: Oh, with the airsoft guns? Yeah. Yeah.
2: We, made we won't us little, tell you what
1: the target is. We made,
2: <laughs> we made us a little target of a photograph of somebody <laughs> and then taped it up to the, the front of an open box so it uh-huh. catches all the little pellets behind there. <laughs> and it's just a certain amount of joy in shooting these little guns. Yeah, that's funny. It. Yeah. Um, so we have that. We we haven't played darts in a long time. no. We should probably just sell that dartboard. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, those are actually worth some coin.
2: Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll scroll through Instagram and yeah. and Reddit. Uh, we'll watch a YouTube video. Yeah. You know, you know, it's not a waste. But I love watching like one of those Leonid and Friends yeah. videos.
1: Rick Beato. Rick Beato. Yeah. We caught an hour long Snarky Puppy concert. That was morning. awesome. Um, we don't feel bad about. You know, when we have downtime about not working,
2: yeah, because we break our ass what yeah. we do.
1: <laughs> it's a recharge for the for the moments when we need. Yeah,
2: it. yeah, we're not really shirking our responsibilities. No, no, no. We have we have a lot of uh, um, good uh, mental makeup when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just season the moment. Yeah. All right. What size? What size should legs and rails be? before? For furniture pieces. You know, last week I was just on a tear. I was reading stuff. Boom, boom, boom. I don't know what happened to me. I'm back to my old self. What size should legs and rails be for furniture pieces? Specifically, I'm making a media credenza about 1.3 meters long by 60 centimeters high by 50 centimeters deep. Any rules of thumb you use for sizing pieces? That's Miles, one of our patrons. And he's eat drink wine guy on Instagram.
1: I'm gonna hand this over to you and you can do the metric metric conversions. <laughs> Cause I laughed when Miles sent it over. I said, I'm gonna have to do metric conversions. He said he did it on purpose.
2: Yeah, I know. I love I I wish I threatened to go metric one day.
1: Yeah, it didn't last no, long. No, it didn't. So one point three meters, we're talking about what, four feet, roughly sixty centimeters high. That's uh what about uh um 25 inches yeah, yeah and about 18 inches deep yeah 20 20 inches oh, 20 inches deep yeah yeah
2: so the you know our fallback um, for design is always to start with like the golden ratio yeah that you can't really go wrong if that's where you start and then take a look at right, it. right right you know, um, I'm assuming that you're drawing this
1: somewhere, some way, whether it's... I think Miles been using SketchUp. Okay. Or maybe, forget, it. he just told me he picked either SketchUp backup or Fusion backup. Yeah.
2: Well, whichever you're using, start there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's a media credenza, you're going to have to work with some of those fixed measurements of things that you got to put in there, like whether it's record albums or AV equipment yep. or what have you, uh, and... I always like to start with that and then work outward uh, until I can get the the right balance. Yep. Um, you know, there's going to be room dimensions, so it's not as simple as it all sounds to get something that's really pleasing to the eye.
1: So he's asking specifically about legs and rails. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying it's all based on uh, the sum of the parts. It's not. You can't just
2: right. That's what that's what I would say. I would I would take a look at the box with the stuff in it. And legs, height is going to change everything. Yeah. And, and there's no real fixed rule on that. Like, we made that really low slung cabinet on a short base for um, Easton. Mm-hmm. And that looked cool. Yeah. Uh, maybe you want something that's going to have tall, slender legs and sit on, like, more of a box frame that way. Um, and, and the same thing with the width. But, yeah, start with your cabinet. And then work different, so, especially when you're drawing on the computer, you could work two or three different styles of legs and compare them right next to one another.
1: Yeah, and it depends on the style you're going for, mm-hmm. too. Exactly. You, know, you don't want to build a four foot wide credenza that's like a contemporary or a mid century style, and you have four by four right. legs. So, it, it, a lot, you know, there's no hard and fast rule yeah. for. Typically, Chunky's not where you want to go, though. No. Um, I could see maybe, like, a Craftsman style, you know, with big, fat, tapered legs mm-hmm. and, you know, something in that width, but...
2: Yeah, and and if you read any of the stuff that goes along with, like, Stickley, and a lot, a lot of times he'll talk about why he put, like, a gentle taper on the side of the bookcases and things like that, because mm-hmm. it does lighten it up. Yeah. Um... Tapers are great
1: for that. Mm-hmm. Even if it's imperceptible, the taper is imperceptible. Yeah. It'll give the the piece a look.
2: Yeah, definitely. You um, know, we
1: put like little tapers on stuff, and you couldn't really tell that it was tapered, but. No, but it lightens it up. Right. It, has, if it You would be able to tell if it wasn't tapered. Exactly. It would just look clumsy.
2: Yeah, because sometimes it has the opposite effect. If it's not tapered, it actually looks like it gets fatter almost. Yeah. And the taper serves to keep it looking. Equal right, yeah, yeah, the old Parthenon trick, yeah <laughs> the old Parthenon trick, yeah, yeah just like that, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, one to one point six one eight is mm-hmm. kind of a good ratio for uh basic rectangular
1: sizes, yeah. And you got the silver and bronze ratios also. <laughs> Forget what what those are. Yeah. But they're yes. relatively close. Uh-huh. And you can use that you
2: work that in with the negative space beneath the piece yeah. as well. Yep. For leg height. Yeah. So that's that's how you can um work that uh, ratio in.
1: Got one here from Robert, Bliss Made Furniture. Really, really skilled furniture maker. Um we've had this one before, but we'll uh we'll humor you since your first uh First question. I know you, I know you just started listening. Uh, pins first or tails first?
2: Yeah, talking we're about dovetails. Yeah. Well, we use a Keller jig. Yeah. Um, so it almost doesn't, doesn't matter. even
1: matter. Um, <laughs> Robert's a hand cut dovetail guy. Yeah, of
2: course, of course.
1: He's doing a lot of uh, reproductions and um, you know period inspired pieces.
2: Yeah, the, I I think I'm a, I think I'm a tails first guy.
1: I've only cut so many dovetails. Well, um, me
2: too. I mean, in a, in much longer yeah, yeah. amount of time.
1: <laughs> I've always done tails first, but I've heard great arguments for pins first. Uh-huh. So it's one of those things where uh, I can't say I have enough bench time to have a, a, a qualified opinion.
2: That's me too. I I always I say because that's what I do. Right. I don't have the experience to back up why I do it that way. Yeah. Except I felt like it was easier to trace.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like marking the uh marking through the tails. So yeah. Sure yeah. I think
2: that was why I chose it that way. Mm-hmm. Um I probably tried it once or twice the other way. I can't even I've remember. I've never tried
1: but, pins first.
2: Um But uh yeah, that's I mean I've seen people do that who, you know, cut hand cut dovetails in drawers that it's amazing how fast and good people can do it,
1: yeah, guys like Frank Klaus, and I'm sure there's good people who are better, but watching videos of him cut dovetails by hand, it's insanely fast, yeah, and you know they're they're not perfect, right, but they're good, yeah, they're really good, yeah, the, I mean yeah. the ones cut with the router aren't perfect, no,
2: they're close, yeah. but you got it takes time to set it up right and mm-hmm. figure out everything, but um. Yeah, we like that Keller jig because it has a nice full-length tail on it. So what do you guys do with your offcuts and sawdust? (laughs) I only use the offcuts to heat my shop in the wintertime as well as firewood and sometimes burn the sawdust. But in the summertime, I just give it all away. I was considering to invest in a pellet mill to make wood pellets, but unsure of that idea. That's uh from Corey, CT woodwork on Instagram.
1: Well, we uh we do a little burn not in the shop, but Rob's got a fireplace, I got a fire pit, Rob's got a fire pit, so we burn a little bit of wood for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Not not a whole lot. I brought some home <laughs> it's um, two still, months ago. Yeah. I still got a bunch <laughs> of it. Um we give it away, we uh for firewood or for people to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, The sawdust we just dump in the back, you know, in the back 40, we call it. And it just sort of, you know, slowly withers away. Yeah, it takes a couple of years to
2: kind of sink into the
1: ground. Yeah.
2: So nothing, (laughs) nothing exciting. We wish we had, you know, better ways to get rid of it sometimes. Yeah.
1: You know, it's, it's... uh, one of those things, you got to get the return on investment. So could we give it to, like, some local, like, horse farm? I know people yeah. use but...
2: But they can't have walnut. Yeah. And we work with walnut. And yeah. you don't want to give them stuff from the table saw that's, like, the, the like plywood, plywood mixed in, out in the, there. Yeah. Um, And the guys we know that don't have, like, a, a land around their shop like we do, they throw it in the dumpster. Yeah, yeah and pay to get it hold away. So... Um I mean the the cutoffs are great for burning uh, we can't even burn and burn enough of it. We gave away we give away we keep it in like these fifty gallon uh rubber made garbage pits, yes. and we give it sometimes three, four five away at a time, yeah, yeah, I
1: mean people come and they can't even take all of what we have yeah, typically yeah. um
2: we got a guy that drives from Staten Island. Yeah. Which is probably about 45, 55 minutes to get here, and he'll come anytime we call him. Yeah. He's probably wondering where the hell we've been. Yeah, he says, you know, make sure you call me next time you have a
1: pail, <laughs> We could call him. We got some.
2: Yeah. I, I'm sure he burns some of it, and he probably uses some of it for arts and crafts and things. Yeah. I've, that's another thing. In the past, I donated it to, like, uh, not old age, like, Senior places where they do things like, like turn pens setting. and oh, hmm. things like that.
1: That's cool.
2: Yeah. Um, which it's, which is nice, but the hard part is when it becomes another job to like. Yeah, like, like I,
1: I don't want to go over there and drop it off. Right, it's exactly. Nice, but it, we, it, it, we don't we need to just get it out of the shop. Right. Whatever's I want somebody quickest. to come
2: and take it and like sweep
1: when you're done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not helping you carry it to the car. Yeah, <laughs> because like even this if guy we had somebody wanted to come get it and they couldn't get down the driveway. Yeah, remember that? Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so what's nice about Bill when he comes and get it? Now we learn we just have to put it down at the edge of the driveway. That way he can come and get it. We don't have to stop what we're doing to yeah. chat with him or anything like yeah. that. And it's great for both of us. He loads it up and doesn't feel like he has to, you know, spend time with us, and yeah. we don't have to stop our workflow. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good uh, good pairing there. All right, this,
1: this is nearing the end here. Yeah. Uh, got another one here from Carlos, Velas on Instagram. What milling and acclimation process do you recommend when building in the garage? Mm. Sort of a similar question to one we've had uh, in the past couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm guessing he means like An unconditioned garage garages. with no heat yeah. and all that other stuff. There's not much you can do. I mean. Just take it slow. That's yeah. all I would say. Yeah. Um, because as soon as you go into a, you know, a controlled environment, that's when the changes are going to, you know, any changes that will occur will occur then.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's only so much prevention you can really mm-hmm. do. Yeah, you know, you you could uh, going slow is going to help you keep your wood flat for the time being, right? While you're working with it, but it's definitely going to move once you get it into whatever space it's going to be in.
2: If you're working with hardwoods, you know, traditionally, that's how all these things were built. I would stick to the tried and true methods of building that pocket screws. <laughs> <laughs> not pocket screws <bruised. laughs> like look back to what people were doing yeah. in the 1800s and the you know early 1900s Ship lapped
1: backs you know solid lap backs mm-hmm. you know frame and panel panels and doors right, things that allow for movement without the piece imploding
2: there's furniture that's built hundreds of years ago that's still serviceable today yeah because it was done in that fashion and they didn't have air conditioning the problem we'll run into now is that we do have air conditioning, yeah. and these things went into a house that was equally unconditioned for the mm-hmm. most part. But, you know, antiques survive, and they're basically in the conditioned space, so they've learned to acclimate. Yep. Um, so Jeff's recommendation is the best one, I think. Go slow, and uh, I think mine comes up a good second. You know, stick to some tried and true methods of building and and acclimation and all those other things that go into making a piece of furniture in a, in an, uh, unconditioned space. Yep.
1: Um we got our question of the week here. Yeah, it's a biggie. Yeah, so we're going to cover this on the Patreon. If you want to um hear us answer this question, you got to join the Patreon. So, sorry about that. Um this comes from Danny, Danny Snyder. And his uh, he's one of our patrons. His Instagram is Danny Snyder Guitarista on Instagram. Ooh, guitarista. He plays uh, guitar and organ in the band Combo Tezetta. Oh,
2: that's the guy! Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, we have his
1: record. Yeah, I, I swear you guys probably ran into one another back in the day because he's out in, in San Francisco. So, <laughs> yeah. um, here is Danny's question: Dear Jeff, we'll read it here. But we're not we're not going to answer it until the Patreon. Dear Jeff and Rob, here in California, we have lots of hundred year old bungalows. I love them. With single-pane, double-hung windows, many of which are rotting. Occasionally, I get asked to replace them, and my usual response has been to go to go to the salvage yard or refer them to an outfit that specializes in replacement sashes. But as my woodworking skills and tools have advanced, I decided to take on the challenge of making them for a few of my best wow. customers. Because I don't have a decent table saw, only a job site portable one, I came up with an alternative method to cutting the joinery. Instead of the traditional mortise and tenon, I just cut the profile on the long edges and the cope on the rail ends, and use dominoes in conjunction with epoxy to join the pieces. It's not as robust as as a tenon. Sorry. It's not as robust a tenon as a traditional one, but I'm hoping the epoxy applied to the entire joint as well as to the dominoes themselves will compensate. What I want to know is if you think this would qualify as good enough construction to put my reputation behind. Behind it. Behind it. To put my reputation behind it.
2: That's good, and this will give us some time to wrap our heads around this.
1: Yeah. So the question of the week is one that we, uh, you know, we want to elaborate on. So we'll uh, we'll give it a full, you know, twenty thirty minutes on the yeah. on the Patreon.
2: Yeah. Well, unless we digress, well, that's bound to happen but... <laughs> too.
1: <laughs> What'd you think of the beer, the Mind oh, yeah. Haze IPA? I
2: I liked it because I mean I really I finished
1: it. About two-thirds of the way down the, the first page. Yeah. It was good. It uh, could have been a little more bitter, I think, for mm. an IPA. Okay. Pretty low on the bitterness scale for an IPA, I'd say, especially for a West Coast company like Firestone. But, yeah, I liked it. Easy drinking. Definitely didn't taste like 6.2% or whatever the hell it is. No. I'm going to say, I you know, I don't really know the... The
2: characteristics that, like an IPA, should have, and that sort of thing—that bitter, piney, yeah. or
1: tropical, fruity kind
2: of um, bitterness. This was the, um, I don't want to say it in a bad way, the blandest of the the fruit mm-hmm. infused IPAs that we had. Yeah. Like it didn't, it didn't jump out, but that wasn't. Such a bad thing, especially after last week, where we had that really complex. Oh
1: God, I forgot about Coffee, that. vanilla. I, I kind of felt queasy for like the rest of the night. After yeah. Doing that.
2: Um. So this was a nice change of pace, where they didn't go overboard, and and it was more subtle. Yeah. That's the word I should have used. It's much more subtle, and it's it's a, uh, you know, off the table flavorings. Yeah. But I liked it. No. Yeah. yeah definitely
1: good. Yeah, got. There's more up there.
2: Yeah. All right. So we'll thank everybody for yeah. uh, thanks l- for tuning for in, listening and uh, supporting us.
1: See you next week for episode forty two. Forty two.